Right after Easter, we started this series in the book of Acts entitled 44 because Acts is the 44th book in the Bible, and we've been going chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and we have been spending a lot of time talking about uh, the author of the Bible, the author of the book of Acts, which is not Luke, but the Holy Spirit who wrote the book of Acts uh, through Luke. And so we have been having this uh, moment of saturation in our church, just talking about uh, the Holy Spirit and looking at Scripture and what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit. For the last several weeks, we've been in the first four verses of the second chapter because uh, what happens in the first four verses of the second chapter here in Acts sets the stage uh, for the rest of the book of Acts, sets the stage for the rest of the church age some 2,000 years later that we are a part of. And so the day of Pentecost, what that uh, means to us today, we talked about that several weeks ago. Uh, uh, we're looking, we looked at the symbols of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the first four verses of Acts chapter 2, wind and fire. And we looked at uh, the example of uh, what those represent to us today. Of course, last weekend we took a, a break, we deviated, uh, we had a, a separate message uh, for all the men and for all the dads, and if you weren't here last week, you know, you just really missed it. I guess you can go online and it won't, won't have the same impact, but uh, we had a boxing ring up here, we had a demonstration of kickboxing, and we talked about how we have to fight the good fight of faith and, and finish our own uh, race. So I want to I go to Acts 2, and as you're turning there, you know, yesterday in London... Uh, a bunch of pagans and druids and New Agers, some 36,000 sun watchers came out and they gathered there in London at a famous ancient stone circle, uh, Stonehenge, and they celebrated summer solstice, which is the longest day uh, of the year in the northern hemisphere. And they had thousands of people that were out there. And uh, they were, there were couples kissing, the news uh, report said. They were dancing in circles uh, with hoops. And they were just having a mass yoga moment together, according to the news. And there's a, a picture up there of what was going on. Uh, there's even, here's one of the guys that was there. Uh, uh, that's, uh, you know, what happens <laughs> when uh, uh, you, you go too deep in the uh, summer solstice stuff, okay? So, hey, what this moment is for, you know, sun worshipers or new agers, Pentecost is for the Christians. You see, 120 gathered not to watch the sunrise, but 120 gathered after they had committed their life to Jesus, and they were followers of Jesus, and Jesus told them that they were to tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high, and the most significant event that's happened in the history of the world post the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and it happened to 120, but it wasn't confined to that 120. The Holy Spirit has been, being, has been poured out in the hearts and lives of Christians now for thousands of years. And here's how it started. Look at Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 1. The day of Pentecost came around, and they all met. And suddenly a sound like the roaring of a strong wind came from heaven and filled the whole house in which they were sitting. What seemed to be separate tongues of flame appeared and settled upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and under His inspiration began to speak in languages they did not 
know. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to study the Scriptures. I pray, Lord, that they're going to be opened up into our hearts and minds. I thank you that all of us are going to be in a place today where we're going to welcome the divine truth of Scripture into our hearts and minds. And that we will receive the blessing that will be attached to this message in our lives today. Uh, Not one will be denied or deprived. I pray and ask this now in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Do you know who the meanest member of our body is? The one member which defiles the whole body. Some of them might say, you know, yeah, I met that guy. He took my parking this morning in the parking lot, and I walked into church, and he was in my seat. That's not the member I'm referring to. Look at James chapter 3, verse 6. James tells us, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. Now, I want us to read this last part out loud together. And it is set on fire by hell. When's the last time you used that word in church? Huh? <laughs> That's a biblical term, hell, right? And here James tells us the most deadly member of our body is the tongue. Now, have you noticed how God designed the human head? Every person has seven openings. And actually seven in the Bible is a number of completeness, right? We have three pairs of openings, two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, but God in his infinite wisdom restricted the seventh opening to only one mouth. Could you imagine what it would be like to have two mouths? That would be double the trouble, right, for a lot of us, although you're eating a cheeseburger with fries, it would be totally cool, you know, because you could just eat them both at the same time. Here's what the Bible says about the tongue. It is deadly, right? Do you know what happens every time you open your mouth? Every time we open our mouth, we allow others to look into our hearts. Every time you open your mouth, you allow others to look into your heart. Jesus said it this way. In Matthew 12, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Solomon said in, in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So the Bible has a lot to say about the tongue, that there's, there's life in that tongue, there's death in that tongue. Our, our tongue can be used to produce life, or our tongue can be used to produce death. Our tongue should actually be registered as a deadly weapon, and all of us should have a license to carry it around. That's how bad it is. And what James is telling us here is that, and what Luke in Acts is telling us is this, your tongue can either be torched or set on fire, either by heaven or by hell. Torched tongues set on fire, either by heaven, as it was on the day of Pentecost, or by hell. Now, I don't know about you, but before I gave my life to Christ, I'm thankful that old man is dead, but before I gave my life to Christ, my tongue, I had a vile tongue, I had a cruel tongue, I had a crude tongue, and I had a lying tongue. And that's one of the last things that gets saved when you surrender your life to Jesus. One of the last things that we surrender to him is this old wicked tongue of ours, you know. 
Hey, this past week I had to go get my teeth cleaned and, uh, you know, uh, you know those, uh, those dental hygienists do a wonderful job of making sure that your teeth are, are clean and, and sparkling, right? But I, when I walked away from there, I said, well, I know I, I go to my dentist to get my teeth cleaned, but where do I go to get my tongue cleaned? You know, dentists are smart. They leave that bad boy completely and totally alone, right? They don't mess with that thing. It's lethal. It's deadly. You know, the place that we go to get our tongue cleaned is the altar. We lay it before the altar of God. Because we want our tongue to be used by God. We want our tongue to be set on fire by heaven, not our tongue to be set on fire by hell. Because, listen, a torched tongue can set a marriage relationship on fire. A torched tongue can ignite a firestorm in a church. A torched tongue can destroy and rip through a business or a company or an organization. Or somebody with a torched tongue could destroy somebody else's reputation using social media. Spreading rumors and lies and slander about another human being. The tongue has the power of death or the power of life. It's either under the control of heaven or it's under the control of hell. Tongues of heaven came down at Pentecost. Spoken uh, uh, by the followers of Jesus, these, this heavenly language that was granted and given to these early disciples, 120, all of them. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says, and they all spoke in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the inspirations. The Spirit of God gave them utterance. I want to talk to you today about praying in other tongues. Because you see, you can't go through the book of Acts without referring and teaching and, and deepening your understanding and allowing your faith to be built up around this highly, still very highly controversial subject of praying in other tongues. Uh, there have been so many for so many years that have said that this gift is no longer in operation, that uh, as it says in 1 Corinthians, tongues shall cease. And they take that one verse and they say, they, they stop. They, they stop back in, in the time of the apostles and, and these gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer in operation. Oh, really? Well, somebody better tell God because these gifts are in operation in churches uh, around the world and around our country and literally tens of millions of people throughout Africa and China. China and Latin America and even in America are being filled with the mighty Holy Spirit with this glorious heavenly gift of praying in other tongues. You know, Lifeway Research has a new study out, and it's the, uh, the study is on a private prayer language. And the study indicates that half of Southern Baptist pastors in America actually believe, half of Southern Baptist pastors in America actually believe the Holy Spirit gives some people a special language to pray to God. I mean, that's good because it means that in this controversial subject that the church is making progress, that we are aligning our beliefs and our traditions and our practices with what the Bible teaches. You see, it's very important, church, that you don't base your faith on what I say. You don't base your faith on what some pope or some priest or some preacher or some teacher or some evangelist or some TV personality or some author or something you read out of a book. You must not base your faith and how you live out your faith and how you practice your faith on what somebody has taught. You must always base your faith on what the Bible teaches. That's the final authority in your life and my life. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a ton of scripture today, okay? But don't fret. 
because you can pull out your smartphone, you can go to the uh, Trinity app, you can go to the notes section on the Trinity app, and all my notes are going to be there. Plus, plus, in addition, free of charge, no extra charge, okay? We have the 32 references of this particular gift mentioned throughout the New Testament. This gift, praying in other tongues, is mentioned 32 times in the New Testament. And all of that is on our app, or you can go to Uversion. Bible app, and you can go to live event, and you can look us up there, or you can go to the guest connection booth and get a regular old-fashioned handout of the notes, because I want you to have these notes. I'm a pastor. I love you. I want to teach you the truth of God's Word, and as a pastor, I know there are two subjects that are highly, highly controversial. They are toxic teachings. Anytime a pastor ventures into these two subjects, and they both start with T, Tithing and tongues, okay? It's like, whoa, people like lose their mind, you know, whenever you start teaching on these two things. Because basically, we come to the Word of God many times with our minds already made up. And we should never do that. We should never come to the Word of God with our minds made up. We should allow the Word of God to make up our minds, okay? So, uh, also in this study of uh, LifeWay Research, this new study that they came out with a few years back, The study also indicates that a majority of Protestant senior pastors, 63%, believe in this prayer language that some Christians have. That's progress. 51% of Christians believe uh, that it is a gift that God gives to some. So, let's talk about uh, praying in a heavenly language, or as it says in Acts 2-4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to pray in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Now, I know there are about four different types of individuals in our services this weekend. Those who have never heard about this gift, okay? Uh, Those who have heard about it and perhaps have some misgivings or misconceptions about this gift. Those who currently don't have this gift, but they're open to whatever God has for them. And then those who actually possess this gift and are exercising and expressing this gift in their own prayer life on a consistent and regular basis. So let me give you a definition. Here's a definition. To speak in a heavenly prayer language, it can be defined as the following. Prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. I'll say that again. Prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker or those who may be listening around that speaker. Let me give you Bible and verse for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. Paul, the apostle, says this. For he who speaks in a tongue addresses God, not men. No one understands him. He is talking of divine secrets in the Spirit. So when somebody is operating in this gift, that person that's operating this gift doesn't understand it because it's a heavenly language, not known to men but known to God. Those that may be around this person don't understand it. But God understands it, right? Parents, remember when your kids were really small and they were learning how to speak? And syllables were coming out of their mouth, but they didn't make any sense, right? Uh, My kids, you know, growing up, they had like their own baby talk, their own language. And what was amazing to me is that you mothers have the gift of interpretation. I mean, my kids were like six when I started to be able to finally be able to understand them. But up until then, they was like, what was it? And I'd look to the glory and I'd say, what did they just say? They just, and then they, she would tell me. And I was like amazed, you know, this 
what do they call it, a symbiotic connection between mother and child, you know, it's like totally amazing. And so when, when, when we pray in this heavenly language or when people have prayed in it thousands of years ago or even today around the world, it might sound like gibberish, like it makes absolutely no sense, but it makes perfect sense to the one that it's being addressed to, and it's not to ourselves or to others, but to God, right? And in your spirit, you're speaking divine secrets, uh, there's a depth and there's a place in our spiritual lives that many of us may fear to tread or may fear to go that God has for us. As we continue to pursue and seek after him, he brings us into ever deeper experiences with him. Hey, when I was a little kid growing up, I didn't mind playing in the kiddie pool. It was absolutely fun playing in the kiddie pool. But when I grow up, <laughs> I'm sorry, the kiddie pool just didn't do it for me anymore. You know what I'm talking about? I wanted to get on, go jump into the deep end. And as we grow in our faith, we have to say, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to graduate, you know, from the kiddie pool and go into the deep end, the deep things of God. And I'm willing to allow God to take me there by his Holy Spirit through the Holy Scripture. When you, uh, when you have this prayer language, your natural mind does not comprehend it. Paul goes on to say in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 14, look at what it says. For if I pray in a heavenly language, my spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. So you don't understand. So let me give you some biblical facts about this one particular gift. Fact number one. This is only one of at least 27 gifts mentioned in the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and other places, there are literally 27 spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit that he blesses our lives with. There's the gift of being an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Uh, there's the gift of administration, governments. There's the gift of giving. There's the gift of leadership. There's the gift of hospitality. There's the gift of compassion or the gift of mercy. Uh, there are at least 27. There's the gift of the, uh, of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and discerning the spirits, the gift of faith and the working of miracles, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues. When we study the Bible, we come to the understanding that there's, there are, there's one giver, but there are many gifts. This is one of many gifts that the Holy Spirit blesses our lives with. No one person has the Spirit without measure except for Jesus. So there's not any one person that has all of these gifts operating in their life, but there are many that, that have multiple gifts that are operating in their life. And the interesting thing about this gift, it's mentioned 32 times in the New Testament. And the interesting thing about this gift is we continue to teach through the book of Acts. We see in Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 19, as in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon believers in Jesus they all had this particular gift that began to operate in their life. So we'll see that in, in, in the months and years to come as we teach through the book of Acts. After Easter every year, we'll take about eight to ten weeks, and we'll just a chunk at a time, and we'll go through the entire book of Acts. All right, number two, you don't have to have this gift to get into heaven. There are some erroneously that teach that unless you have uh, experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit with this prayer language, that you're not going to make it to heaven. That is just flat out not true. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. So it's by faith alone and Christ alone that we're saved, right? It's not Jesus and water baptism. 
It's not Jesus and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not Jesus and church attendance. It's not Jesus and tithing. Well, maybe that one. It's not Jesus. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm kidding. It's not Jesus and anything. It's not Jesus and communion, right? It's not Jesus and reading the Bible. It's not Jesus and witnessing. Now, all those things are good. But, but we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's Jesus and Jesus only that saves you and me. Can we thank him for that? <laughs> Number three, having this gift doesn't necessarily make you more spiritual. Okay? Uh, how many of you, by showing of hands here in a moment, how many of you know somebody in your life or you've known somebody that had this particular gift that we're talking about today? You've had somebody that you've known. Cool. Okay. Uh, now, I've, I've known people that had this gift, and they were very loving, kind, and, and, and seemed very spiritual. I've met others that had this particular gift, and they were a little weird and at times very mean. So don't blame it on the gift. See, there are mean people who get saved, and they don't, for some reason, they don't lose their meanness. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Maybe they didn't pray it right. Maybe it was the wrong altar that they, I don't know. Okay? But they were mean before they met Jesus, and they're mean after they met Jesus. Okay? And so uh, it's, don't blame people's weirdness on the Holy Spirit. Because there are just some people, nobody in this service or in the next. Okay? But I tell you, there are some people that call themselves Christians, they are just, woo you know what I'm talking about? We love them, but we keep our distance from them. <laughs> so having this gift doesn't necessarily make you more spiritual. Paul said this. Uh, about the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1 7, that they didn't lack any spiritual gift. Yet we know, 1 Corinthians 3 3, they were the most carnal church of all the churches. And that's why Paul had to go through great length explaining how these gifts were to function within their church because there was such an abuse and misuse of these gifts. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're more spiritual. Matter of fact, the Bible says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, we're to test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. You know, for every gift that God blesses his people with, the devil counterfeits those gifts. So for every good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father, the devil takes that and he distorts it and he perverts it and, he, and there are those who misuse these gifts. Matter of fact, Jesus gave a warning in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, in the last day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not work many wondrous works in your name? And he will simply say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So not everybody that stands on a platform, not everybody that writes a book, not everybody that has, you know, some spiritual gifts, those gifts may or may not be from the Lord. Do those gifts draw attention to themselves, or do those gifts draw attention to Jesus? Uh, do those gifts create a following after that person, or do those gifts create a, a deeper uh, commitment and devotion to Jesus Christ? Do those gifts bring glory to that individual, or when those gifts are in operation, do they bring glory to Jesus Christ? So the Bible says we're to test the spirits to see whether or not those spirits are from God. And all the people said, I number four. Once again, this particular gift is mentioned 32 times in the Bible, in the New Testament. It's mentioned like once or twice in the Old Testament. 32 times in the New Testament. The first time it's mentioned, it was mentioned by Jesus. And for me, as I know for you, he is the ultimate authority and the final authority in my life. Look at what Jesus said about this gift. I want us to read this out loud together. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Here we go. 
These are the signs that will be associated with believers. In my name they will cast out devils. They will have the gift of tongues. Say it again. They will have the gift of tongues. That settles it for me. <laughs> you know, all you had to do as a young baby Christian, show me that verse that Jesus said and, and that believers will have this gift of praying in other tongues. I'm like, okay, I'm game. I don't know how long it's going to take, you know, whatever, but I'm open to it. I'm definitely going to be open to it because Jesus said it's a gift that we could have. Number five, having this prayer language enables you to pray the perfect will of God. Hey, let's be honest. How many of you have been in a situation, either in your own life or somebody you love, somebody you care about, a circumstance, that you just did not have the, the words, you didn't know how to pray like you should pray. How many have ever been there before? You just, you wanted to, but you just didn't know how to pray the way you should pray. Maybe you call up a friend or a spiritual leader and you say, hey, man, I'm going through something or somebody I love. Is, and man, how do, I, how do I pray? How do I go to God on this topic? Well, see, that, that's understanding. God understands that. And so look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There are times when the Holy Spirit can pray through us. And when the Holy Spirit's praying through us, at that moment we are praying the perfect will of God for our life or that situation that we may find ourselves in. Number six, we should seek this and other gifts. We're actually required in Scripture, admonished in Scripture, to seek out spiritual gifts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul said, pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts. The first thing he tells us is, listen, walk in love, pursue love. Love comes first. You can have all these gifts, and if you don't have love, you're nothing. So whenever we talk about these gifts, listen, there are people that have differing views, and that's fine. But we're committed to walk in love with one another. Amen? There's an old saying, uh, in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have liberty. But in all things, we show charity. How many know that two well-meaning individuals can be on the opposite end of the spectrum of their interpretation or understanding of some biblical truth? As, and as long as it's, a, it's not a, it's a non-essential truth in the Bible like tithing or communion or water baptism. I mean, know that we have liberty to believe differently, uh, but we must always walk in love with one another. Amen? You know, there are some churches that they come to a, a misunderstanding or a disagreement on something taught in the Bible, and the whole church splits. You know, like they're mad at one another, and they're arguing with one another, and they despise one another, and that's just not the spirit of Jesus. Amen? All right, number seven. Receiving your personal prayer language and then exercising it will do something for you. It will build you up spiritually. Oh, look at 1 Corinthians 14.4. Let's read this out loud together. So a person speaking in tongues helps himself grow spiritually. The Bible says when a Christian operates in this gift, it helps you grow spiritually. Now, hey, how many of you are all into whatever God has for you that's going to help you grow spiritually? Raise your hand, right? I mean, reading the Bible regularly, 
uh, building, developing a prayer life, a consistent prayer life, uh, listening to godly Christian music, you know, worship music, you know, uh, you know, when we want to build ourselves up, coming to church, going to a life group, serving in ministry. I'm all for, you're all for, whatever God has for us so that we can continue to grow spiritually. Now, how many of you know that uh, all of us are at different levels spiritually, right? Some are further along than others, because we're all on this continuum of spiritual growth, and there's not one person here that has completely and totally arrived. Can anybody raise their hand and say, I have totally reached perfection in Jesus, and I have no more growth that needs to take place in my life? Raise your hand. We will bring you up to this platform, and uh, we'll give you the microphone. We'll let you preach, okay? (laughs) Because you're better off than the rest of us. Now, the reality is we're all constantly growing, and this gift, according to the Bible, helps us to grow. Look at what it says in the book of Jude, Jude verse 20. Uh, Jude says this, but you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up. Build your, we're in a world that's tearing us down. We're in a world, there's so much that's, that's holding us back and weighing us down. Here's something that can build you up. Build yourselves up in this most holy faith. How? How, Jude? Say it with me. Read the last part. By praying in the Holy Spirit. Anytime you see that phrase in the New Testament, praying in the Spirit or praying in the Holy Spirit, it's talking about this heavenly prayer language that, was, that started in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Number eight, the apostle Paul possessed this gift as he was writing to the Corinthians and explaining to them how they were abusing and misusing this gift. And he was telling them how that they were to exercise this gift in an orderly fashion. He wanted to make sure that they didn't misunderstand him, uh, that he was in any way discouraging them from the utilization of this gift. And so he says this in verse 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul, the great man of God, the great apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, church, he had this gift. You see, in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul had his road to Damascus experience where Jesus met him on the road and knocked him off his horse, flat on his back, looking up to God. He was gloriously saved. And then, a few days later, Ananias, this disciple of Jesus, comes to Paul, who was Saul at that time, laid hands on him, prayed for him, Paul received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and either at that moment or sometime later, he received this gift of this heavenly prayer language. And Paul utilized this gift regularly in his own life. Number nine, the gift should not be used in church unless it is accompanied with the gift of interpretation. Now, there are two this, this gift, it, it, there are two parts to this gift that we're talking about. There is the use of this gift in a public setting, and there's the use of this gift for your own private edification and communication with God. Now, when it comes to the public use of this gift, the Bible gives some clear instructions how and when it's supposed to be used. In a public setting, if it's the gift to be used publicly to bless the entire church, that gift has to be accompanied with the interpretation of that uh, message that was given in tongues. 
But then the Bible has all these other references where the gift is used for your own personal uh, spiritual development and edification. So when Paul says in Corinthians, do all speak with tongues, the obvious answer is no. What Paul was referring to was the public use, the public use of this gift. Not every one of us has the public use of this gift that must be accompanied with the interpretation, either by the one who gives the message in tongues or by somebody else in that gathering that has it. So here's how Paul describes it in verses 27 and 28 of 1 Corinthians 14. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most, three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. The beauty of this gift is there are times that we can simply speak to ourself and God, and nobody else even knows we're praying in the Spirit. You can be in your car. You could be here during a worship service. You could be at work, and you're going through a tense moment, and just quietly to yourself and God, you begin to pray the perfect will of God about this situation out of your spirit. Your spirit's praying. It's not coming from your understanding. There are times we pray with our understanding, and Paul said there are times that we pray with our spirit. There are times we sing with our understanding. There are times we sing with our spirit. Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He spoke about the coming gift of the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given, for Christ had not yet been uh, crucified. That's in John's Gospel, chapter 7. So it is a beautiful way of making a divine connection with God. And as we mentioned a moment ago, when you're praying in this heavenly language, you don't understand it. Uh, Nobody else is going to understand it. And most importantly, the devil doesn't understand it. And I'm sure it drives the people over at NSA absolutely crazy when they hear you speaking this foreign language to God and they don't know what you're saying because, you know, they want to know everything you do. They want to know everywhere you go. They want to know every... Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox on that one, right? And it is one of the most powerful spiritual weapons God can give a Christian. When the Apostle Paul is listing offensive weapons in Ephesians 6... Uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, he ends by saying, praying always with all prayers and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto. Praying always in the Spirit. The most feared weapon the church has is this divine supernatural prayer language that God gives believers, and that's why there is so much controversy around this one gift because the enemy despises it more than any other. Paul goes on to lay down the ground rules how this gift in a public setting should operate. Look at verse 23. We're going to end here. Paul says, So if the whole church... Actually, i got two more verses after this. Uh, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Now, how do you know that if you walked into church today, those of you that may not be Christians yet, maybe you're just checking us out, visiting, whatever, you know, and we're all praying in tongues and you walk in, you'll be thinking, what in the world is wrong with these people, right? Before I got saved, true story, before I got saved, 
All the stories I tell are true, but I just want to preface, okay? I'm not making these things up, not exaggerating. Uh, my sister was a Christian, and she's the one that, you know, was praying for me, bought me a Bible, and ended up, you know, being used by God to lead me to Christ. But she was attending this church in Albuquerque called The Answer. And like 35 years ago, this church was absolutely wild, okay? So my sister invited me to go on a Friday night. I don't know why I went with her, just probably out of kindness. Oh, hang, okay, I'll hang out with my sister. I was a raunch sinner. And I walked into this church. The lights were dim. They had candles lit on the altar. Guys and girls were spinning around, singing in some language I had never heard before. Music was playing. And I walked in that place and I said, what have these people been smoking? You know. I'm like, this is insane. And I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could. This is what Paul is talking about. That we have to do everything in an orderly fashion. He goes on to say this. So my brothers, verse 39 and 40. So my brothers, be eager to prophesy. And do not suppress the gift of speaking in tongues. Don't forbid it. Don't deny it. Don't reject it. You may not fully understand it yet. You may not be ready yet. You may say, not now. That's cool. That's cool. But as a church, as a pastor, as a minister, as a Bible teacher, whether you have it or you don't have it yet, the key is don't forbid it. Don't speak against it. Don't mock something that you don't know. Don't suppress the gift of speaking in tongues. Look at verse 40. But make sure that everything is done in a proper and orderly fashion. Because God is a God of decency. God is the God of divine order. See, many years ago, 33 years ago, I gave my life to Christ. Shortly after that, my sister began to tell me about the Holy Spirit. And she began to show me in Scripture about the infilling of the Holy Spirit and this particular gift. And I was hungry for God. And uh, because she was basing everything she was telling me on the Bible... I listened, I opened up my heart, and she said, would you like to receive this gift? And I said, yes. And so in my dad's apartment, 9800 Montgomery, Northeast, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I knelt down, and she placed her hands on me, and she prayed a simple prayer, and she said, I just simply say, Lord, I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life, his infilling, fill me to the overflowing. I, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to give me this blessed gift that I might be able to worship God uh, and, and glorify God through my life. And she prayed that prayer over me, and I just prayed that prayer, and it happened. I can't explain it. It just happened. And she said, now open up your mouth and just begin to speak. And, and I just began to open up my mouth and praise God. And these words, these syllables began to come out of my mouth that they didn't make sense to my natural mind. But that's why this gift is so important because it, 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 it deals a death blow to human pride. Because we want to be in charge and we want to be in control and we want to understand everything. And there are some things, blessings that God has for us that we have to simply step out in faith and receive as a divine gift from the Lord. I've known many people who love Jesus. And, and, and please, listen, there's no such thing as a first-class Christian and a second-class Christian. That people that have this gift are somehow first-class Christians. And people that don't have this gift are second-class Christians. There is no such thing as that. But I know many, many people that have this gift. I know many wonderful people that love Jesus that don't have this gift. I'm here to simply say, here's what Scripture says. Here's my experience. And I do believe, and as we have time to go through the book of Acts, and as you look at all 32 references to the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues that I've listed in the handout or online and our sermon notes, I want your faith to be built up. 
You know, my wife, Gloria, uh, before we ever met, uh, I was uh, in, involved in a singles ministry back at our former church, and we were having this camp at Glorietta, New Mexico. And uh, we were inviting a bunch of singles from our church to come, and uh, some of the singles in our church were inviting friends and family members that weren't even Christians yet. And uh, Gloria's sister was attending our church and invited Gloria to come. Gloria was, you know, out in the world doing worldly things, uh, on occasion traveling to Vegas and having the party scene and just, you know, living her life. And she thought she began to realize that her life was empty and all this the world promised was not bringing fulfillment. So she said, I'll try this Christian stuff out. So she came to this camp. The first night we had a gathering, we had a campfire, we had a cookout. It was just a great time, everybody hanging out. But we told all the campers, all the singles, we said, hey, young professionals, we said, hey, tomorrow we're going to have a time of prayer early in the morning. If you want to come to this prayer meeting, you're invited to come. Well, Gloria showed up. She's not even saved yet. She showed up, and we're all praying. Some are praying in the Spirit. Some are interceding. And she comes, and she begins to hear and experience this for the very first time. But here's the amazing thing. Because the Holy Spirit had already been working in her heart and God had already been drawing her to Jesus, when she experienced this, she was like, this is different. She just sat down. She bowed her head and humbly said, I don't understand what's going on, but I sense these people have something that I need in my life. Well, just a day or two later, she was in one of our evening services there at this singles camp, and she got radically saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. She drove back from Glorietta, New Mexico, back to Albuquerque with her sisters and friends all in the car. They were singing, rejoicing in all that Jesus had done for them. She was praying in the Spirit, and God did a mighty work in her heart that he is still doing in her heart. And he did all that so she could meet me so that we could get married. <laughs> and that's the end of that story. <laughs> I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey today. But as a pastor, I love you. I love God and I love his word and I love the truth of his word. And in a very biblically balanced way, I want to present truth to you. And now I ask you, what would the Lord have you do with the truth of this message today? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you for Christians that are longing and hungering for more, and I thank you that they're growing in their understanding and the knowledge of this particular truth. I thank you they're going to continue to seek you and that they're going to be open to the blessing that you have for their life, God, in the, in the hours or days or weeks or months to come. Thank you that it's all about Jesus and that our hearts are to seek after him. And so, Lord, I pray for those who may be here today that have never surrendered their life to Jesus, and I pray that they would open up their hearts to receive the gift, the greatest gift of eternal life redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If that's you, heads bowed and eyes closed, just pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn to God, and I receive his love, his grace, his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me the gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into my life, that I might glorify you with those gifts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?